It may feel a little bit in-house for you, if that is you. I do apologise in some ways. Um, do listen in and uh, I'll, I'll perhaps say something a little bit more directly to you towards the end. I'm going to pray and let's all together ask God for help. Oh God, you are our helper. We thank you so much that you help us each day. Apart from you, we can do absolutely nothing. And this morning I can't preach without your enabling power. We can't hear without your spirit to teach us. And we can't respond rightly without your power. So we pray, God, for your help. We ask that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Help us to hear your words and to walk in your ways. So, I wonder how you feel about these words. What kind of a feeling did you have when you read these words? I see a few of you are reading it again. I'll read it again. <laughs> it's worth reading it again to remember what we're actually looking at, isn't it? Okay, so let's all do it together, slowly, and take it in. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, come on a little journey with me. Cast your mind back and imagine yourself in Roman-occupied territory. It's the early decades of the first century AD but you're not calculating time that way yet. You're an Israelite and you know your family history. You've grown up a Jew. You know that the land... Sorry, you know uh, about Abraham. Of course you do. Abraham is your great, 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 great grandfather. And you know the promises that were given to him. You know the stories. You know how the Lord had said to him that he would bless Abraham and that through Abraham all the nations would be blessed. You know about Moses. You know that nobody has arisen quite like Moses ever since. Nobody has uh, been involved ever since in such miracles. 
you know about the Passover, that amazing night when your people were delivered from Egypt. You know about the plagues that came upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. You know about the, the law of the Lord and the mighty moment at Mount Sinai where fire came down and there was lightning and God gave his law. And you've been living by it and hearing about it every day. You know about the miraculous feedings in the wilderness. Water from the rock and bread from heaven. You also know that apparently another prophet like Moses is coming. You know about the great King David. You know about his victories in battle. You know about God's promises to him. You know about the descendant from David who will one day be on the throne forever. Triumphant over all of the enemies of God's people of whom you know that you belong. But you know that that is not the situation right now. You know that the land that you are in is occupied by the Romans and it used to be your land. You know that your people have broken the covenant, that they've sinned against the Lord, they've disobeyed. You know that things are not right. But you also know the prophets as well. You know that restoration is coming. You know those great promises that have been made. There will be a new exodus, a new deliverance. The lame will be restored. A mighty king will rule the land and Israel will be restored. You know that sin will be dealt with. You've read Micah. You know that the sins will be cast into the depths of the sea. That great problem that the nation you belong to will be solved. You know that God will dwell with his people and there will be peace. It will be like Eden again. But this hasn't happened yet. And so you wait in hope. Fast forward a few years. And you've been following this guy, Jesus. Wow. The miracles. Extraordinary feedings. 5,000 in one go with a few loaves of bread. This guy's like Moses. The healings. Wow. Miracles. This guy's like Elijah or Elisha or these are like maybe these are as miraculous as Moses even creation obeys his word who is this guy the wind and the waves obey him even powerful demons are cast out of people with a word This is somebody with authority. Maybe he's a king. 
What about all the coincidences? Are they coincidences? Born in Bethlehem? You've been reading Micah. That's where the ruler comes from. What about his early years in Egypt? That's kind of like what the people of God were like. What about the wise men from the east? Isaiah said something about that. People coming from the nations, rejoicing at the king. What about his entry into the world at a time when a fearful king was taking the lives of innocent children? This is reminding me of Moses. What about his teachings? Such authority. So heart-searching. So heart-warming. What about how he denounces the leaders and the hypocrites? This guy sets himself apart. What about his claims? Forgiving sins? Sitting on a throne to judge the world at the end of... At the end of time, saying things like, whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And you're thinking to yourself, maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the, this is the hope. This is, this is who we've been waiting for. But then he's crucified. Sure, it did happen just as he said. And you abandoned him. Just as he said you would. And your hopes are shattered. Maybe the chief priests were right. Maybe God doesn't delight in him. And confusion sets in. You feel disoriented. It's a failure. Maybe he's a failure. Maybe you're a failure. You feel guilt. Things are dark. But lately, you've heard that he's been raised from the dead. Unbelievable. Terrifying. A man who said that he would die and then come back to life, be raised, has actually come back from the dead. Exciting. You hear a report, and the report is, tell my brothers, this Jesus is is said, tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. And so the memories come back. Galilee? I remember when he said that last. That's when he said that we would all abandon him. I know Galilee. That's on the outskirts of our country. That's, that's on the way toward the Gentiles. That's on the way out to the nations. 
back to Galilee. That's, that's where he taught us so many things. And brothers. He calls us brothers. But what about the abandoning? And the memories keep coming back. And you remember that final meal. This is the blood of the covenant. My blood. Poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You remember the words, three days I will be raised. And you think, wait a minute. Hold on a second. And your heart beats faster. Adrenaline kicks in. It's not all clear, but hope has been resurrected. We're going to Galilee. You get to Galilee. You're with the other ten. It's just eleven of you now. Judas is gone. Maybe there's a few other disciples there with you as well. You come to the mountain and Jesus is there. Wow. Three days ago, this man was hanging, beaten and bloody on a pole. Now he stands complete. There is an air about him and about this place that stills your soul. You know you're in the presence of greatness. He looks more human than anyone you've ever seen. It's like you're on holy ground. This is the king. Everything he said has come true. This is God's man. This is God's son. This is God himself. You bow. You worship. It's the only fitting thing to do. Sure, some among you doubt. Perhaps it's too extraordinary to imagine. Perhaps the penny hasn't quite dropped. Next thing, Jesus draws near. He moves towards you. You'd heard him call you brother in the report, and now you feel it. Inside you're thinking, what is the next part of this story? What will happen now? And the next thing are the most amazing words, yet they couldn't be more fitting. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We are in the presence of the king. This is the king of all heaven and the king of all earth. We are your servants, our hearts whisper. What a privilege. What awe. What comfort. We're in safe hands. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says. 
What's he going to tell us to do? What's he going to say next? Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations. Ah, of course. This is where the story's going. Son of Abraham. Blessing to all the nations. Of course. We heard him say, pray for labourers. The harvest is ready. We are the labourers. This is why he sent us out. Doing what he did. Of course this is where the story's going. (laughs) Then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What does he mean? We remember the baptism of John at the Jordan. That's where Joshua entered the promised land. That's where they renewed the covenant after they passed through the waters. Maybe John the Baptist's baptism was about renewing the covenant. Maybe this baptism into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is entry into this new covenant. That new covenant of forgiveness of sins, of Christ's blood shed for us. Then he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right. That's why he went on about fruit so much. That's why he was so against hypocrites. He doesn't want people who just say that they follow him. Of course. He wants people who observe all that he teaches. That's exactly what a disciple is. But you know what? It's a bit scary. I feel a bit scared, actually. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them, teaching them. Because you said to us that blessed are you when they persecute you for my name's sake. You said that we would be hated by all for your sake. You said if they treat the master of the house like this, crucifying him, 
What will they do to the servants? We see now that when you said, take up your cross and follow me, that it was going to be hard. We see now what you meant when you said, whoever loses his life for my sake. We said, we remember now that when you said, unless you love me more than your family, you cannot be my disciple. Surely, yes, surely that is true. Because what sacrifice in this task? This will cost us our lives. So we feel a bit scared. This is going to be hard. And there's not going to be any reward. Or at least we may not see much of it. Here in this present life. That resurrection. Is taking on a whole lot of meaning now. And then come these words. From Jesus. Behold. I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. Ah. There's my reward. The king is with us always. There's my hope. The end of the age. The trials of this life will come to an end. And we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. The king will come and the king will judge the wickedness. He will remove all causes of evil from his kingdom. Oh, that age. When that day comes, how he will put things right. Behold, I am with you. Always, even to the end of the age. So, why have I done it like this? The reason why I preached it this way is because I think that the tone or the feel that we should have from these words and this section is one of excitement. And I wonder if when, when, I, when I posed the question to you at the beginning, whether you felt excitement or burden. And I think when we see the story rightly, we see that these words and this charge that the disciples are given 
is actually a really exciting charge. We belong to the king. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. If these things are true, if his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins, if the new covenant has been enacted, we, we, are, we can enter into that new relationship with God, sins forgiven. If this is the king of the whole world, this is an incredible privilege to be the disciples at this moment, to stand here with him. And it's exciting. This is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. All the nations on the earth will be blessed through you. Here it comes. And so it's exciting. And I just have one question for us this morning. And that question is, who is the task for? Who is the task for? Who did Jesus give this charge to? Did he give it to me? I think he gives it to all of us. You've either got just the 11 disciples on the top of the mountain, in which case I think they're representative of the church and hence uh, a quick um, exercise. Point to the church. Very good, Jehol. Exactly. If there are other disciples there, then it's easier. The 11 represent the church, and all the other disciples are there as well. And so, it's a charge to the church. It's a charge to us, isn't it? And how do we feel about that? King Jesus, perhaps right here, right now, go and make disciples of all the nations. Why is that the right thing to do? Because I'm the king of the whole universe. So it's right that everybody be my disciple. That would be the right thing. That's actually the most loving thing to do for the, all the nations, that they could belong to the king of the universe and be in the right kingdom and not be destroyed by this king. It's also a great ground of success All authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. And does it feel scary? Does it feel hard? 
I'll be with you until the end of the age. The age will come to a close and all my promises will come true. I will be with you until then and then you will shine like the sun in the kingdom of my father and it will be epic forever. So go and make disciples, all of you. couple of thoughts as we come to a close on making disciples. Perhaps uh, the first question we should ask ourselves on that front is, am I a disciple? Am I a disciple? Have I first listened to uh, Jesus' own words for my life, teaching them to observe all that I command you? But, as I said at the beginning, maybe you're visiting, maybe you're here for the first time. So the first step into discipleship is to repent. That's the first thing that Jesus calls you to do. Uh, Repent of your God-dishonoring ways. Uh, Repent of your sins. And turn to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust in his blood shed for you. I know it might seem from an outsider's perspective that this is a bit intense, that we go and make are the followers of the whole world. But if it's true that Jesus is the king, then as I said, it's actually the right thing to do, isn't it? And it would be the most loving thing to do. So that you too could share in the treasure and joy of heaven and escape the wrath of God. And then, perhaps it's worth just pausing on this, teaching them to observe all that I command you. Because I know for myself it can be easy to to feel uncomfortable about that one. Grace, free grace, forgiveness of sins, we can get that. Maybe. And what I'm saying doesn't undermine that. Because, you see, in Matthew, fruit is not something that you can just tack on to a tree. You need a new tree. Jesus is always talking about trees bearing fruit. So when Jesus says teaching them to observe, he's not just saying go and tack on fruit onto bad trees. It's, it's a message to go to people first with the, in the baptism, cut down the old tree, put it in the grave with Jesus, and rise to new life and a new tree that bears new fruit. 
as Jesus has risen. And now here's a few comments in Matthew, but I suggest it might be a good, a good way forward to think about what is a disciple. Read through Matthew again, afresh. It might take a few hours, but it will be a few hours well spent. Thinking to yourself, what did Jesus command and what would it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? For myself and then for those that I'm making disciples of. Here's a few things. It means giving to the needy. It means loving our enemies. It means forgiving others when they've sinned against us. It means enduring persecution for Jesus' sake. It means seeking God's will and God's glory and not our own. It means living a life of humility. It means embracing God's forgiveness. It means speaking in ways that don't condemn ourselves. So, judging others in ways that wouldn't, by those very words, condemn ourselves. It means having integrity in speech and life. It means serving others. It means fighting for purity of heart and mind. If that means cutting off limbs and gouging out eyes, so be it. And it means making disciples. Because this is one of his commands. Go and make disciples. So I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you that you have fulfilled all your promises in Christ. Thank you that we can be invited into the new covenant, forgiveness of sins, and restored relationship with you. Thank you for the promise, Jesus, that you will be with us always to the end of the age. Thank you that all your words come true and we have a a hope that is sure. We ask that you would cause us to sense the great privilege that it is to be your disciples and to be given this charge by you. And we ask that you would help us in this task of making disciples of all nations baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that you have commanded us. Please help us to see ways in our own lives how we can do this. For your sake we pray. Amen.